E. Pathology and the unconscious. Since we have seen that the primitive unconscious, being the first revelation of the divine idea, never tires and does not have to learn its role gradually, the question arises, can we apply the concept of illness to the life of the unconscious? Illness cannot exist in the primitive and absolute unconscious. The concept of illness means that another principle, a foreign idea, asserts itself in the organism alongside the life idea. It thus hinders and disturbs the organism's life. The possibility for such disturbance presupposes that the organism has some freedom to deviate from its original way of life. It is no longer determined by iron necessity. This is the reason why illness is less common among the lower forms of life. Among all known creatures, man has the sad honour of having the greatest variety of illnesses. In the animal kingdom, the frequency of illness is lower, and the variety of pathological conditions is more restricted. The most important illnesses of higher creatures, fever and infections, do not exist in plants. The term illness does not apply at all to telluric and cosmic organisms. The disposition for illness increases in proportion to the growth of consciousness, and thus of freedom. Destruction and death are the fate of all organisms, since they are temporal and mortal. It is as illogical to consider death pathological, as it is to believe that being killed by a falling rock or another violent force is the result of disease. All this suggests that the unconscious life of the soul should, by its very essence, not be subject to illness. But those systems and organs in the human body, so little influenced by consciousness and entirely governed by the unconscious, are more frequently subject to a variety of illnesses than are those highly influenced by consciousness. The greatest number of illnesses appear in the circulatory and digestive systems, the glands and the excretory organs. The nervous system, along with the spinal cord and brain, the most conscious of the body's life systems, are far less frequently affected by illness. This contradiction is, however, only apparent. We consider illness to be really a generalised affliction affecting the body as a whole. No part of a healthy body invaded by a pathological organism can remain normal. The body is a complete entity and can exist only as such. When this entity is no longer motivated by only one principle, but also by a second, foreign principle, the primitive life idea can no longer remain true to its nature, and a totally unimpaired normal state cannot exist anywhere in the body. Whenever a localised illness develops, more than one organ is affected. The whole man is ill, suffering particularly in one or another part. Often the general body conditioned is disturbed only to a minor extent. But some disturbance, some offence to the body, must be presented throughout the body, otherwise the organism could not be considered to exist as a whole. Here we find a certain gradation in the disposition to illness, according to the development of the body's various life spheres. We find that the more conscious reaches of life, where ideas are purest and most refined, put up the greatest resistance to the alien influence of a pathological organism and most forcefully assert their integrity. In the less conscious bodily areas, there is more possibility for interaction with the outside world and for constantly renewing the elements of the organism. 
these areas are much more open to impressions from the outside world and susceptible to an alien idea. It requires severe illness to significantly alter the nervous system or the brain, the very seat of conscious life. In contrast, the slightest illness usually affects circulation, digestion or excretion. These unconscious systems are more subject to illness than conscious ones, not because they are unconscious, but because those spheres of the body governed by the unconscious life of the soul are more influenced by the outside world. Thus, these systems succumb more readily to an alien principle, to an idea of illness. Similarly, the higher regions of the body are less affected by disease, not because they are ruled by consciousness, but because it is here that the independence and freedom of the organism manifest themselves most clearly. All acts of the organism belonging to the unconscious life of the soul show the inherently divine nature of the unconscious, its original rejection of the concept of illness and its inexhaustible health and inner wisdom. Here again we see how remarkable the unconscious is. It takes on an entirely new aspect and for the first time becomes truly understandable. Illness has, in fact, no power over the truly unconscious life of the soul. The statement that neither the concept of illness nor of evil in the moral sense exists in divine reaches of the unconscious is quite correct. Illness, both physical and psychic, make their appearance along with the arbitrary act, greater independence and freedom. Thus, the unconscious realm of the soul within us, though suffering most from illness, most negates it, opposes it most strongly, and in many cases eventually eliminates it. We refer not only to those aspects of the unconscious of which we occasionally become dimly aware, say, the instinct for finding the appropriate means of self-healing. Of far greater importance is the marvellous and mysterious stirring of unconscious life, that healing power of nature, that physician in man, which slowly undermines illness, inducing a crisis that frequently restores health with astonishing rapidity by means of strange reversals of organic activity. The less pronounced consciousness is, the less it is stimulated by sensory impressions, the less outwardly oriented the organism is, the more these remarkable processes manifest themselves. For these processes to come into play, consciousness must frequently withdraw altogether into deep sleep or a fainting fit. This is important from every point of view, particularly for the physician. They can be better understood by recognising that consciousness is responsible for illness. The absolute unconscious is quite untouched by illness. We must realise that underlying consciousness, all that we have clearly thought out and felt, there is something mysterious, but definite and firm, never erring, called conscience. When faced with deviations from the proper path, it always leads us back to the centre. Thus we can see that unconscious organic existence Though ignorant of illness underlies everything that combats illness and strives constantly to restore health, this used to be called nature's healing power. In addition to its effectiveness in the case of illness, this unconscious activity, designed to restore the organism to its natural state of health, manifests itself when external injuries occur. An injury, 
A wound or a broken bone is not an illness. It is an offence to the life appropriate to the organism. It is not the result of an alien pathological idea taking root in the organism, but rather the result of the violent impact of an external force. Both injuries and illnesses, however, require and stimulate a definite action on the part of the injured organism. The restorative processes activated in the unconscious after an injury are no less remarkable than the curative activities of the unconscious soul in the case of illnesses. The wisdom of these processes demands the admiration of the physician if he is at all attentive. The mere closing up of an injured blood vessel or the stopping of a hemorrhage are important examples. Blood in injured vessels circulates in a different direction to ease pressure on the injured parts. The vessel walls slowly contract. Blood then coagulates to form a thrombus. Special vegetative processes are activated to finish closing the wound without a trace of conscious effort. Finally, circulation, which may at first have been completely disrupted by their injury, is fully restored in the injured part. These events can give rise to a number of reflections. The healing of a broken bone, the healing of severed parts, and in lower forms of animal life, the replacement of lost limbs are equally remarkable processes. All of these reveal the mysterious powers of the unconscious psyche. The highest aim of knowledge should be the conscious penetration of the depths of the universal unconscious soul. It is the task of medical science to investigate these unconscious healing processes in order to understand them better, to develop them further, as well as to imitate and to stimulate them as far as possible.